But why do you think that maybe other security leaders, I don't know, maybe you're having conversations and they agree with you on this right away, but maybe why don't other people kind of see the same opportunity that you're seeing? I think what it is, it's just that they're not seeing it, they're not aware of it. A lot of the professionals who've been in the field a long time, especially your baby boomers who are traditional in their approach for hiring, they use a lot of their networks. So they tend to hire in their own image and it's hard for them to think outside the box. We can't do that anymore. We see that the great resignation has taken effect and baby boomers are leaving in droves and there's huge voids. We have got to look at other sources. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of the LifeRaft Security Conversation Series. I'm your host, Robert Value, And today, I'm joined by the former Director of Security Investigations at Cox Communication, Alan Sequela. Now, I know from having the chance to talk with a lot of leaders in the security industry that many of them struggle with recruitment. So in our conversation today, we're going to discuss an often overlooked pool of top talent. And we'll also discuss how the security community as a whole can better promote the profession to the next generation. But before I dive in, let me give you a quick overview of my guest today. As I mentioned, Alan is the former director of security investigations at Cox. Altogether, he has more than 20 years of experience conducting investigations, risk management, and fraud prevention. And today he teaches as an adjunct faculty professor in global security and intelligence studies at the Emory-Riddle Aeronautical University. Alan, thanks for joining me today. Robert, glad to be here. We had a really interesting discussion in our pre-interview So as it kind of relates to recruitment and building a great team for security leaders in this profession, what is something that you think everyone should start doing? No, Robert, that's a great question. Like our sales peers on the other side of the house, you're always closing. When I say here on the recruiting side, you're always looking for talent. I don't care if you're at a conference, if you're talking to colleagues across the enterprise or in the industry, you always need to be looking. And so one of the things that I always strive to do is keep a file on talent. And that goes at talent at all levels. So whether it be entry level, a mid-level or executive level security professionals, you always want to be looking for that. So that's something you have to start with. And it has to become a part of your job description. The other duties as assigned, make sure that recruiting is one of them. Always be looking. That's the first and foremost. I know being a hiring manager myself and trying to build my own team, it's always tough looking for great talent just in general. And then everyone tends to have the same criteria. They're all looking for the same types of people. So it's often an edge when you're looking in the marketplace in a, in a different way, kind of that money ball reference to that great baseball movie. In your opinion, and we had a great chat about this. I don't want to reveal it. I want to let you say it. What is a pool of talent that you think is very underrated by a lot of security leaders today? Well, I would say it's going to be those coming out of college. And so the newbies, we have to get them interested in our career path. And we do that by partnering with the universities and actually going to the universities, starting the American Society for Industrial Security student chapters at these universities, getting students involved, getting students aware and interested. One of the things I have found when I present at any college or university to a group of, let's say, criminal justice students or cybersecurity students, they're not aware of the other component, which is sandwiched in between, which is the physical security and corporate investigations specialty area. And so when you start talking about that to students, and I just gave one of these presentations at Embry Riddle yesterday, their eyes open up. For example, I ask them, how much do you think the FBI director makes uh, as far as an annual salary? And I'll say most directors of security make about 50 to 100,000 more than that a year. And then they say, wow, that's amazing. What's also very interesting is if you added up all the positions in intelligence, federal law enforcement, military intelligence, public law enforcement across the U.S., in the corporate sector, there's two and a half times as many positions in that field. 
and plenty of opportunities, but this young talent is not aware of that. And so we have to get out there. And so that's one of the things I always do when I'm out there in front of the universities. I actually take a PowerPoint presentation and I got the content from the American Society for Industrial Security. And I share that. I share the salaries for these types of positions and how to prepare for these positions. So you have to target them. Got to get them young, if possible, even in high schools. Before they're making the decision about what major to go into. Right. They watch a lot of television. They all want to come in and be profilers. They want to be investigators. And they all think about law enforcement or intelligence. They don't even understand that we have two and a half times as many jobs in the corporate sector. And so we have to educate them. You get them early. And you have to do it, especially with the younger generation, with technology. One of the things I do when I do a presentation, I'll share with them some of the investigations and the cool technology that we use. For example, a drone that you can dispatch to go to, let's say, a fence that might be 40 acres down your property to investigate a breach. Someone's broken in or jumped the fence. This particular drone has talk-down capability and CCTV, so you can actually speak to the person who jumped the fence and scare them off, and they love that type of stuff. Or using GPS tracking devices to catch thieves who are stealing your property. So it's really the way we have to target ourselves and share where the growth is going, and it's definitely in this industry. I definitely want to get into how the security profession can promote the field to the younger generation. But I think before I kind of dive into that, I guess if I'm a manager or security leader and I'm kind of thinking about you know building out my team, I probably have a bias towards going to someone a bit older already has that experience. Why would I want to make the investment into someone that's maybe new and unproven as a starting point? One of the things we have to think about and realize right now, we're in the midst of the great resignation. So we have a lot of people leaving companies at all levels. In addition to that, you have baby boomers of 11,000 of them are retiring every month. So there's going to be a huge void. Now, traditionally in the corporate security arena, we would hire folks who had experience. And of course, it was very difficult to bring in young talent. A couple of things that we're faced with besides the fact locating talent, it's also retaining talent. What I found is if you don't have a career path in your organization, you're going to bring in talent. They're going to stay 18, 24 months and they're going to leave you. And so you have to build in some sort of tiers from entry level to, let's say, a security operator one, investigator one, then investigator two. And you have to do that. Otherwise, you're not going to retain. To answer your question on why we should be focused on other areas, such as the youth, because there's a void. When you look at companies, you don't have folks at that young level. You have mid-level professionals that we're hiring and you have senior professionals. We don't have folks that are going to come in and fill those voids. So we constantly have this repetitive effort that we go through to bring in talent. And it's hard to bring in, let's say, a mid-level professional for an entry-level position. A lot of our positions are entry-level. We're not going to bring in those folks that have traditional backgrounds in law enforcement, intelligence, etc. We have to find them younger, and we have to go towards those locations where we believe the talent is, and it's primarily the universities. You provided some great examples and some great stories in our conversation before we hit record about bringing on some Gen Z talent and how they've helped you with your business. So do you mind sharing like some of the results that you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. So there was one particular situation where in my last position as the director, we were having some significant losses of property. So in the telecommunications industry, 911 or telephone service is regulated and you have to keep that service up. If you have a power outage, backup battery cabinets, keep that power up. These culprits or thieves were breaking into these cabinets and sealing these very large batteries, and they were taking them to salvagers. Of course, lead is the primary ingredient in these batteries and has value. And so these thieves were taking them to salvagers. We had 360 of these cabinets broken into in a metropolitan area, and we couldn't solve it because we had 5,000 cabinets that had eight batteries apiece in them in a metropolitan area. How much are these batteries worth? It could be a couple hundred dollars a piece. 
And if they break into the cabinet and steal four, it's not just the cost of the battery, it's the damage to the cabinet. They just tear it up, the wiring housing and also the module and the battery loss. So every cabinet that was being broken into cost about $2,200 to repair, replace, and get back up and operational. We were getting close to a million dollars in damage and loss. And because, again, we have 5,500 cabinets, they do have alarms on them. But by the time you dispatch police, the thieves are gone within two minutes. So they come in, they cut the wires, and they take the batteries. And so we brainstormed and went to a university. And we didn't need a traditional criminal justice type person. We were looking for someone outside of the box, somebody that had knowledge of GPS satellites and so forth. So I went to the GIS department at this one particular public university. The chair aligned me with a student that I brought on as an intern. What's interesting is we need to do more with interns, and we'll talk about that. But this was a micro-internship, or I'd like to say project-specific or an investigative internship. Brought this person in. She used the systems at the university, where she used global position satellite and imaging to look at our 360 locations. Her analysis determined that those particular locations had very common characteristics. For example, they backed up to an alley, or they were in very dark and secluded areas off the beaten path. So what then she did was... She looked at the surrounding areas in the same zip codes and identified other cabinets that had similar characteristics that were not broken into. And then she applied some predictive analysis to this investigation for us, said these cabinets here where you should probably be doing your surveillance. She gave us a list of maybe 36 of them. We put decoy GPS batteries in there. Within two weeks, we arrested the culprits. This was a young professional, college talent, brilliant kid. And she solved this case. We couldn't do it in a year. And so we need to be looking at these types of things because. That didn't cost me much, a very small amount of money. It wasn't a full semester or summer internship, very micro, and it paid major dividends to a million-dollar case. Someone who's growing up with technology their whole lives and then being able to apply that in the field. Yeah, the technology, plus she was so savvy in all different programs on her computer that she was able to quickly put this together for us and solve it. So why do you think that maybe other security leaders, I don't know, maybe you're having conversations and they agree with you on this right away, but maybe why don't other people kind of see the same opportunity that you're seeing? I think what it is, it's just that they're not seeing it, they're not aware of it. A lot of the professionals who've been in the field a long time, especially your baby boomers who are traditional in their approach for hiring, they use a lot of their networks, so they tend to hire in their own image, and it's hard for them to think outside the box. We can't do that anymore. We see that the great resignation has taken effect and baby boomers are leaving in droves and there's huge voids. We have got to look at other sources. And I think we just need to get that information out there and through universities, through American Society for Industrial Security. And I'll talk a little bit more about what I think these folks need to do and some of the things that have been very effective for me in order to find this talent. Let's jump into that then. If I'm sitting as the hiring manager looking to build out my team for any kind of function and I'm thinking about recruiting to younger talent, right out of university, what would be a good place to get started? What's step one, step two? The first thing you have to do is you have to identify the universities, the colleges, and the programs you think are going to be best for supplementing and supporting your entity, your business. What I mean by that is like, for example, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, uh, College of Business, Security and Intelligence is the first college nationally that actually brought college of business and intelligence and security together. So you have to identify who's going to be able to provide you the talent, identify those colleges, And then start meeting with the chair and the professors, get in front of them and start doing presentations, educating the professors, the chair, and then doing some presentations in front of students to educate them on where the jobs are. That's the first thing. I think right after that, you have to get intimately involved with helping them start the security club instead of the criminal justice club. You know, we don't need that. We need security and business focused. People that understand the language of business is so critical. 
And so you need to get that in front of those folks and share that information what the industry is looking for. Next, you have to actually start offering more mentorships, internships, and micro-internships like I talked about a moment ago. Traditionally, you would hire an intern, put them on in the summer, then you go back to college in fall. Those things aren't working anymore. We need to be thinking about project-specific internships, like I explained on that one case we had. If you have a particular need, don't wait until the summer. Let's do it now. That particular, basically an eight-week internship cost me $1,000. That's peanuts in the scope of things. Basically, provided it to the college. They assigned it to a student. We gave them some guidance. So think about micro-internships, project-specific internships. Get those young minds involved. And then, of course, if you do have traditional internship opportunities, add those in as well. One of the last things that I do, continually do, even after retiring from the industry and now teaching, is mentorships. A mentorship is different than an internship. Sign on with somebody that's truly interested. Meet with them one to two hours a month in a Zoom call, on a phone call, and provide them with guidance on their career. You're the guidance counselor. You're providing them an overview on what you do at your organization. Spend that time developing them, helping them, educating them, and opening their eyes to our industry. It does a couple of things. One, it provides them with a career path. Two, it helps build that relationship with the university. And the other thing it does, it helps that person, that young mind, build their resume. If they can't get an internship, it's pretty impressive to put down that you were mentored for one year with the director of security investigations for a major corporation. Boy, does that open some eyes when they apply for jobs, because that's going to help launch their career. You will not believe how much that'll help that person. The young minds still call me. I'm so excited to see the kids that I've mentored in the career path and doing well. One of them today is vice president of a major corporation that I mentored 20 years ago. And I'm so proud of this individual. And so you can never give back enough. Mentor, mentor, mentor. That's a great success story. My next question was going to be when I've been on the other side of the hiring desk and I'm trying to figure out looking at someone who's proven versus someone who's unproven and trying to determine how do I identify someone who's going to be a good talent. But then you're kind of saying you even got to go before that, thinking years before this person's even hiring. And then through that mentorship process, you identify the best people for a job. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. What's also interesting is that when you do this, you're going to build loyalty. These individuals are going to be loyal to you and the company. They're going to want to work for this organization. So you got to get them young, at least as a freshman in college, if not at the high school level. But once they're in that college, you want to get in there and you want to get in there often, if not every semester, at least once a year doing major presentations and networking and so forth. And so, again, you have to have that pool of young people coming up. Because the grand exodus, everyone's leaving the business. It's not just security. It's everywhere. Look at the hiring problems we're having today. You mentioned there you've been doing a lot of presentations. And so you're talking at the university, meeting people face-to-face. What seems to be the benefits that are really resonating with Gen Z? You hinted at it a bit before with drone technology and things like that. What gets people's like eyes lit up? Like They hear about this and like, oh, that's cool. I want to be in this field. They love technology. They grew up with technology. What's very interesting about Gen Z, unlike some of the other generations, is they grew up during the Great Recession. They're used to being frugal and budgeting. They have a certain level of loyalty. They want job security, which previous generations like to hop around, grab a little experience and jump. There was very little loyalty there. So you need to understand Gen Z in order to be able to cater and also to recruit. So just do a little research, understand what they're thinking, what they want. Of course, that's going to help. So when you're delivering the message about your organization or bringing them on as an intern, if you understand what motivates these young minds, it's going to be that much better. So we know that technology turns them on. We know they want loyalty. We know they want security. So those are the things you need to emphasize in your recruitment efforts with this particular generation. And it seems to be working very well. 
How about the industry or the profession as a whole do a better job at getting Gen Z to even be aware that this field exists as a career path? Well, I think one of the things we have to do with our colleagues across the industry is we need to collaborate better. We have to do that and not be afraid to share talent. One of the things that I've done in the past is if I have a young mind with me that doesn't want to be here long enough because we don't have an opportunity, but they really have unbelievable talent, you have to be willing to cross the aisle, reach out to your peers at other organizations and say, listen, I don't have an opportunity here, but I know that you do over at this particular company. Be okay with sharing your talent. Be okay with moving someone into another organization. But in addition to that, we have to work with the associations, such as the American Society for Industrial Security or the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, depending on which side of the aisle you're on, on the security side or the investigative side. We have to partner with them. They're doing a pretty good job messaging, but we have to make sure that we are working in collaboration with those professional organizations and getting the messaging out, inviting them, making sure that we get them to join these organizations while they're students. Most of these organizations offer discounted rates for students. For example, ASI, as the American Society for Industrial Security, charges $20 for one-year membership, and they get full access to everything that professionals have. It's a great way to get them introduced. They get to network. In addition to that, we have to make sure we're sharing with these young minds. Build your LinkedIn page. We need to be looking for resumes, but they also need to be building their resume and their LinkedIn page. And one of the things I share with these young minds is clean up your Facebook and your Instagram as well. You know, social media doesn't go anywhere. It's there forever. So we're educating along the way too. It's fun. Alan, we're coming up on all the time I promised to take from you today. So what is the one big takeaway you want listeners to remember from our conversation? The most important thing I think here is you have to, as security professionals, add that one little bullet to your job description. Always be looking, always be recruiting. It's just something we sometimes forget. All of a sudden, someone gives notice, they leave the company or you have another position open. And you're scrambling to get that position filled. That should never happen. That's embarrassing as security professionals. You should have a bank of talent or at least a place to go to find talent. So always be looking and give back. I would say as security professionals, we owe it to our careers. We owe it to our industry to give back to the young generation. Be mentoring. If you don't have the budget to entertain an internship, mentor. Get these minds involved. Get them to know a little bit about our industry. Help them because, boy, it pays great dividends to our industry. You can have whatever vision you like, but it's the people around you that are going to create that vision. Absolutely right. Alan, how could listeners get in touch with you? The two easiest ways, of course, is my email address. So it's alan.sequela at gmail.com. Or you can reach me on LinkedIn. Just type my name. You'll find me. I'm readily available there as well. Alan, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely, Robert. Thanks for having me. Again, that was Alan Sequela adjunct faculty professor in global security and intelligence studies at the Emory-Riddle Aeronautical University. Thanks again for listening to another edition of the LifeRaft Security Conversation Series. If you'd like more insights on building and running a successful threat intelligence program, be sure to check out the LifeRaft blog at liferaftinc.com slash resources. That's liferaftinc.com slash resources. I hope you tune in next time.